Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. This Australian Investors Podcast episode is brought to you by The Intelligent Investor, Australia's premier investment research membership service. You can get a free trial for 15 days, no credit card details required. To access the insights of some of Australia's best analysts, use the coupon code RASK and secure your Intelligent Investor membership today. We're proud to have The Intelligent Investor as an ongoing supporter of the Australian Investors Podcast. As a result, RASK does not earn a volume-based fee. Simply head to intelligentinvestor.com.au or use the link in your podcast player to access your free trial. This episode of the Australian Investors Podcast is also proudly supported by SelfWealth, Australia's leading independent broker. Over 120,000 investors trust SelfWealth with over $9 billion in equities. With SelfWealth, you can trade ASX, US and Hong Kong listed shares for a flat fee. On a $10,000 investment with Comsec, you'd pay $29.95 in fees. Yet with SelfWealth, it's just $9.50. The thing I like about SelfWealth is the full access to fundamental company data and how easy it is to trade US, Hong Kong, and Aussie shares in one place. You can see your Apple shares and ACDC ETF right beside each other. To join SelfWealth now, use the link in your podcast player or head to selfwealth.com.au and use the coupon code RASK during sign-up. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. G'day, Raymond. How you going, mate? Yeah, pretty good. It's pretty hot today in Sydney. Um, got the aircon on. So um, yeah, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, it's not as hot down here. I think I do have the the cooling on, but it's um. I guess that's just luxury when it's not that hot and you can turn it on. But um, yeah, mate, it's actually quite nice in Melbourne. So I'm very happy with that. At least I think my happiness is up at least 30% as a result. <laughs> um, this is actually the first podcast you and I have done together. So you've interviewed a few people for the Investors Podcast. I've interviewed right. a few people, but we haven't actually sat down and done this together, which is a bit of fun. I thought um, maybe a way that we could start this conversation, we're going to be talking about culture and we're going to be looking at some ASX companies. We've got some data we're going to crunch um, and we can even share our screen for those people that are watching on YouTube. However, before we get into that and we kind of name and shame the best and worst, um, do, you, do you have a joke, an investing joke for myself and listeners? Not really at the moment, but I heard you're really good with jokes. You're the joke jokester of the team, so um, I'll oh, let right. you handle that one. So, <laughs> okay, okay. 
Yeah. So, um, okay. So here's, here's my, here's my joke for today's episode. Uh, and see if you can, you probably know the answer to this one. Yeah. Why is, why is Ireland a good investment as in the place? Why is Ireland a good investment? Uh, I have no idea. I wouldn't mind being on Ireland right now. Well, it feels <laughs> like I am because it's, it's pretty hot at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> True. Well, I tell you why Ireland is a good investment. It's because its capital is Dublin. As in Dublin. That's it. That's my joke. <laughs> okay. So enough of the, <laughs> enough of the bad jokes. Um, I probably yeah. should have tested that one on you before we came on air. But um, today... It's not bad. Talking... It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. I'm practicing my dad, I'm practicing my dad jokes. If you have a better joke for us, um, be sure to find us on Twitter. Um, I believe your handle on Twitter, mate, is underscore rjang. Is that correct? Uh, rjang underscore. Rjang underscore. Cool. Uh, other way around. Uh, other way around. And mine is um, at Owen Rask. Tell us your jokes on Twitter, your investing jokes on Twitter. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So, mate, we're talking about culture today. You have um, a very different background professionally to me. Um, you come from like a government and corporate background, uh, whereas I come from kind of like a startup background, I guess. Um, but we both have recognized the importance of culture. Uh, one of the things that I've realized in doing all of these interviews with investors, but also doing my own investing, is that culture is so important when it comes to investing, because companies are effectively just tribes of people that come together for a common mission or a common goal. And as investors, we kind of lose sight of that very easily because we can't quantify it. Uh, we're going to introduce listeners today to some techniques and ways of I guess, understanding the culture of a business. Um, it's not a perfect way to do it, but it's a, it's a good way to do it. But maybe, mate, um, we could just jump off with, like, why, why do you think culture is important in investing or in companies? Yeah, 100% agree with you on the importance of people and the importance of culture because it's often the hardest thing to quantify. It's almost impossible to put a number on it. Um, but for me personally, having worked through different teams um, and experiencing different cultures, when I first started working in an accounting firm, um, I think culture is really important in a smaller team um, because you really need to communicate really well and rely on each other. Um, but the same goes for like playing in sports teams. It's a classic analogy. I mean, you see the most successful teams in the world where they have really good, strong cultures. Um, and I think it comes down to the individuals as well. Um, the individuals within the team shape the culture and it shapes the direction. Um, and when that goes pear-shaped, then it can have um, devastating consequences. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's the, the sporting analogies are really good one. I think there are many, um, I guess, analogies that come from sport. Um, we've heard in the past about like building a, an investment portfolio is like, you know, having a, a great um, sporting team. You, you put the best players on the field at any one time. Um, and I think I, I, that resonates a lot with me because my approach to at least putting the team together at RASC, um, you know, even in that very phrase, I use the word team. Um, I don't ever really think of anyone as colleagues and we don't really have, I guess, we're still very early in our journey. We haven't got it right, but um, we don't really have like a, like a chain of command. We don't have a hierarchy. Um, 
And more and more, we're seeing companies start with a much flatter um, organizational structure, which is, I think, is an important thing too. Yeah, I think being transparent is really important. And having a smaller team, communication is like really important. And I think one of the key reasons that drew me to joining RASC was I could access a lot of your interviews and you were very transparent on social media. So it was pretty much an insight into the culture at RASC. Um, mm. Yeah, and I, so, you know, uh, we had, I interviewed a guy called Lawrence Lamb on the, the, uh, the show before. He's a young uh, portfolio manager and he only invests in founder-led companies or family-led companies. And um, he, he basically, you know, talked about that idea that the first place out of university or the first place out of school that is kind of the culture and the kind of the work philosophy that you have and you take with you throughout your career. And mine was starting at the Motley Fool. When I started at the Motley Fool, there was like, I could count them, um, the number of people in the team. There was Bruce Jackson, who basically I think of him as the founder of the Motley Fool Australia, who's since retired just recently. Scott Phillips, who was a freelance writer and then became obviously chief investment officer and general manager there for a while. Uh, there's Ryan Newman, who's one of my closest friends, Regan Pearson, uh, Tim, both of those guys were writers like Ryan and I. And then there was um, Mike King and, and Robin as well. So there was literally like six or seven of us. And what we realized or what I realized is that we were able to build a super, super, super successful business as a very small team. Um, and it was that kind of transparency within the team, even though we were freelancers or contractors and they were full-timers and whatever, that transparency went right the way up to um, David and Tom Gardner, the CEOs of The Motley Fool. And, um, took that with me into building rest. So like, you know, as you know, now we've never, um, like if, if anyone was to come to me inside of our business and say, Hey, how much profit or loss did we make this month? Or, you know, how much cash do we have in the bank? Um, I'd tell them it doesn't, it's never phased me that kind of transparency, because I think the more, I think you're going to say this, but the more kind of, I guess, layers there are, the less transparent things become and the less well-oiled they become. Yeah, that's right. I think having moved from a small, not really a small, but like a medium-sized accounting firm to a much larger organisation being at ASIC, there was definitely a lot more layers of management and there's more red tape. So things don't move as quickly um, as you know, compared to a small team. I mean, at RASC, we can try a lot of things and we, and we fail fast, but we can break things. We try new things and find out what works out. Um, and that was similar at you know, William Buck where uh, employees were given the opportunity to you know, work on certain projects that they wanted to. And you, as long as you tried your best and um, you didn't you learn from your mistakes, I think that was a key lesson. Um, but mm. I think, yeah, it's, it's harder to move fast in a larger organization. Yeah, it is. And that's where, um... You know, I, I guess we talk a lot about incentives as investors. We talk about uh, the CEOs and we talk about the kind of the CFOs, the, the board of directors, and not many people think too far down the organization, even though that's where the real work is done. You know, the people at the coalface, if it's a retail business, they're the people that actually get the work done, not the CEO. And yet, and yet we judge the CEO because we expect them to have influence over an organization, but the reality is we need to understand more than just the CEO as investors. 
we want to understand why people get up and go to work. I, um, I, I once had this, this carpet layer uh, come out from Bunnings Warehouse. He came out to our house and um, my mum was actually talking to him and she asked him and said, hey, do you like working at Bunnings Warehouse? And he said that the worst day at Bunnings is the best day anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really interesting um, quote. He just kind of just reeled it off straight away as if it was like a mantra that him and the team lived by. And that always struck me as something that was really interesting because when you do go into Bunnings, um, you don't really find that, well, I mean, you, you get them everywhere, but you don't really find too many grumpy people, too many people that are not willing to help. Um, and so I think that's kind of an example of how culture permeates an organization and feeds back to customers. Um, another th- anecdote that I'll bring up is just the one from, um, and this is relevant to what we're going to talk about today. And when we use the ASX examples, um, one of the ones was um, from Sam Sam Huppert, the, the ProMedica CEO and co-founder, when in an interview um, on the Australian Investors podcast, he said, you, you want to hire great people, not a lot of people. And um, I think more and more these days, we've, I'm seeing that, you know, better organizations, the best organizations are able to get more done with fewer people because we now have tools available to us. You know, we have endless amounts of cloud computing. We have um, various tools online, like organizational tools, content management tools. It's easier to start a business now, um, all of these things. So I think that's another thing that really rings true with a a lot of great companies early on is hiring really good people um, and going from there. But mate, I thought maybe we could talk about how how to get some type of insight into the culture of a company. Um, Based on the research you've done so far on companies or even just the tools that we use at RAS, like how do how do we do it? How do you do it? Um, how do you get a, a pulse check or a read on what company uh, what companies are like from the inside? Mm. I think there are a number of tools available online. I think the web has so much information available where you can try and draw inferences from employees, current employees, or former employees who are submitting employee reviews. Um, you can get a sense of how engaged employees are by looking at their LinkedIn feed or even just basically trying to talk to uh, former employees who used to work at, a, at that firm and they may have moved to a competitor. And that might provide you even better insights because that gives you a comparison between the culture um, at the firm, you know, where they left and then where they're at now. So it gives you that competitive analysis at the same time. Sorry, just on that, you... Um because you um, did a lot of the, the coverage or all of the research of Catapult, the sports technology business. And uh, is it Will Lopez? Will, Will Lopes? Um, yeah. He, he came across to Catapult from Audible, I think. Mm. And he brought a lot of people with him, right? Yeah, exactly. A lot of top um, level management had moved um, across over to Catapult. And that's mainly because they had a really good working relationship with uh, Will Lopes. Um, and I think that probably speaks to his character and his, um, his reputation. Mm. Yeah. I, one of the, I know the, another company that we've spoken about a lot, which is another smaller company. It's a company called um, EnviroSuite, which trades on the ASX ticker symbol EVS, which has got a very checkered history in terms of acquisitions and, and the like. But um, Jason Cooper, who is the new CEO, I've spoken to him. And I was when going into the conversation, you know, as an analyst going into the conversation with the CEO, you kind of have your guard up a bit because you want to kind of interview them and you want to understand more about them. But 
coming away, I was so impressed with the way he communicates and the way he takes feedback. Um, and then it was, it was, so it was obvious to me just why so many people followed him across to EnviroSuite. Um, and I think that's a sign of a really competent leader and a really, um, I guess, I guess maybe talented leader in a team because, you know, if, if we are saying here on this podcast that culture is what drives companies, if you need good people to do that. And so but the hardest thing to do is find good people if you talk to any business leader. So if they can bring people across, you know, they're going to have their foot in the door. Um, so, mate, let's talk about um, using these online tools. Um, for those people that don't know, they can use uh, Glassdoor, which is very, very handy for, for HR reviews, for employee reviews, for US companies. You can use like Indeed, which is the kind of the third t- place player. And then you've got Seek. A lot of people don't know that here in Australia, you can use the Seek website to look at employees reviews and HR reviews. So those are three really powerful things. Are there any others? Would you add something, say, like LinkedIn to that list? Um, LinkedIn is pretty useful if you're trying to track very important employees within an organization. So when I talk about, when I say important, I mean, the employees, like say at a software company, it could be the, the software engineers who are behind developing the, the key software systems and the products. And it really depends on the industry as well. So if you're talking about retail and more consumer facing roles, you want um, really top level store managers um, who are really driving employees on the ground. But I think another tool that we probably didn't touch upon was um, just really just reading the transcripts. And you know? so that's the presentations and the statements to get an understanding of what actions has leadership taken and what have they said? Have they, you know, completed what they promised to, to do? Um, and I think, yeah, actions speak louder than words. And I think great leaders always set the culture. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I think that um, the leadership team is most important because they're at the end of the day, it's the, the executive level and the board of directors who are responsible to shareholders and we're shareholders from the outside. Whereas, um, you know, people in the inside there, they might be the ones that do the work, but they're getting inspired and led by someone else. So um, that's why, you know, when a company goes uh, poorly and performs poorly, it's the CEO and the board of directors that um, get the chop because those are the ones that, are accountable to shareholders and shareholders see a falling share price or some sort of scandal. So, you know, the buck has to stop somewhere. So it stops at the top. Um, but what we're trying to do today is look a little bit deeper than that to go a bit further down because, you know, we've heard of things like out of Silicon Valley, like bean bags and free fruit and uh, yoga sessions and all these types of things, which obviously is a form of culture, but it's obviously not the only form of culture. I remember looking at, um, I remember, I'll give you an example of a company where culture is important to consider, but it might not be what you think it is. I remember talking to a travel agent about um, their experience working at a flight center. And they said, oh, you'd never work for flight center. It's all about sales and it's all about commissions. Um, that's all they think about, right? But then if you think about flight center's business model, that's, exactly what it is it's a sales role you're selling people travel Mm. um and so that's what you can expect from a company like that now that might not suit everyone and i fully am fully aware of that but that is the culture that's required to make that business a success at least that's in its current form 
that's what's required. But if you took that same culture and you applied that to say Google, you probably wouldn't retain a lot of staff because it's a different culture set. You need engineers um, and probably more, people more on, on that side of things rather than say on the sales side of things. So it's really important to understand culture uh, from for what it is uh, in context. Mm. Mate, That's I might, a great point. Uh, yeah, I might um I might throw it over to you to to run through. So maybe I'll I'll share my screen for those people that are watching along. Um, I'll share my screen and maybe just for those listeners that aren't watching, you can just explain some of the companies that from our data, we've got about mm. 130 companies here that we we've looked at on the ASX. Um, and we've looked at the HR score. So these are the kind of like the most popular companies. We've got the banks in here. We've got a bunch of the big tech companies here in Australia, the industrials, et cetera. Uh, maybe you can explain some of the companies that did pretty poorly from a HR review perspective and maybe dive into why they performed poorly um, from the HR scores perspective. Yeah, so the first one you've got there is uh, Nuix. And Nuix has been going through a lot of pain um, last few years, it's just been ongoing um, scandals and negative headlines, um, mainly because the former CFO, he had um, potentially or allegedly um, mm -hmm. provided misleading for forecasts um, as part of the prospectus. And, and also there was allegations of potential insider trading with, I think, his brother. Um, and I think... Yeah. And even, even looking at the Glassdoor reviews, um, dating pre the IPO, which the IPO occurred, I think, in 2020, um, but Glassdoor reviews, a lot of the older ones show that people weren't happy with management. Um, and there were a lot of issues, underlying issues with how management weren't receptive of feedback. Um, it was either their way or the highway. So, I think that's that's a very, um, I guess, bad way for managers to approach things because you can't expect an organisation to move forward if um, managers aren't willing to listen to new ideas or listen to feedback from their direct employees. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the first one. Do you have any yeah. other thoughts about Newix? Yeah, well, I guess the it's very easy to become disenfranchised, right? With um, if you, if your company, if you're a, let's say you work in, I don't know, let's just use the tech team, for example, at Newix and you're developing the software that helps run analytics and stuff. If you're, if your industry is pretty in demand, why would you stay there? If you're copying all this, you know, headline crap, why wouldn't you just go somewhere else? And so, yeah. you know, that's quickly, that's how, and then the managers of those teams become stressed because they're losing good people or they have to deal with, you know, spot fires everywhere. And so all of a sudden it's just this constant feedback loop. Um, but what's really interesting, um, we'll get to what's, what's really interesting. So when we look at these scores, so how are we getting the scores? Just to be very clear, we are getting the scores that employees give voluntarily to the websites like Seek, Glassdoor, Indeed, et cetera. But what we're, what we're, Raymond and I are not saying that this is the only thing that you should look at. You'll notice in Raymond's commentary there when he talked about Newix, He's actually talking about looking at the reviews themselves. So not just taking the number, but we're mm. taking the number to just identify these companies to see if we can find something interesting. Um, so you've got to look a little bit beneath the surface and you've also got to be mindful that sometimes there aren't, there simply aren't that many reviews on these companies. Uh, so yeah, I think um, 
you know, it's pretty easy um, to see how Newark's got to where it is in terms of, you know, having such, um, I guess, poor reviews. Um, what about some other companies? But like, what about EML Payments? That's that's another payments company. I think I own shares in that company. So, um, what 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 happened with EML? Um, yes, for full disclosure, I also own shares in EML. Um, so EML has it was hit with uh, regulatory concerns mainly because of its acquisition of prepaid financial services, which was the payments business that they acquired, which was based in Ireland. And the regulatory authorities um, in Ireland had issues with um, the certain um, things that they um, assessed in terms of anti-money laundering. So yeah, on that respect, um, it's, it's one of the key risks of payments businesses because it's heavily regulated. Um, so you want an organisation who's really on top of this and, and also really moving forward with trying to identify the issues early. Um, so I guess even though it was a different business, um, it wasn't the original business, like in terms of the management teams, um, it would have been prudent to try and get um, across all the details of the company that they were acquiring. So I'm not saying that's the key reason why um, um, for, for that kind of result, but um, mm. I, I think the employee reviews on Glassdoor can provide an indication of their, their attitude towards risk management perhaps. Mm. Yeah. And I, one thing that's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of like another, so this is like, if we talk about being an analyst and having like the mosaic theory, which is like piecing together what actually goes on inside a business, piecing together what's going on inside the industry. This is just one piece that goes into the mosaic. So obviously if employees are saying things like, Oh, we're not sure about the, um, the compliance and the oversight. And all of a sudden the company comes out with some compliance concerns. Well, um, you've obviously got to start questioning things. Like that's like another piece of the mosaic. You're like, okay, well, this is piecing some things together for me. One of the things to keep be mindful with all of these companies, like you said, is EML Payments is the Australian company. If you're trying to find reviews and understand what's going on from a HR perspective, you might have to go into the divisions because, um, you know, EML Payments buying um, PFS financial services um, out of Ireland, um, you would have to find what PFS's employee reviews were like. Um, not necessarily emails. And so that's, for example, you know, a company like Prometicus, which is here in Australia, its primary business is actually um, Visage. It's called Visage mm-hmm. 7. And that's um, Visage Imaging is actually, you know, in the United States. So you've got to go to the Visage Imaging page, not necessarily to Prometicus uh, because it's so small. Mm-hmm. So what about this company? This is a company that we've known for years, which is um, Nearmap, trades under the ticker symbol NEA on the ASX. Gets a score of 3.4 out of 5 and only 60% of staff said that they would refer a friend to work here. Yeah, I think you were saying that they, they had a period where a lot of the, the key technical staff at Nearmap had actually moved to another company. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. So, um, yeah, so maybe I can feel this one. So what actually happened was... Um, you know, not everyone, but some of the staff actually left. Um, there was a competitor that started up to its to that the two near map, um, which I'm led to believe you know had, was influenced by a lot of former employees. We've um, 
We've seen a company like Pointera startup, which is um, obviously a similar business, but does more data engineering uh, that had some people from Nearmap involved in it. Um, and then there are other companies like, I believe it's Spookfish. Um, so, you know, and, and then Eagle View in, in the United States, which is the big competitor. And there are some, a few issues there. Um, so, you know, all of these things combine and yeah, I mean, Nearmap shares are down 50% over the past year. I don't necessarily think that's because of their culture necessarily, but I think in the early days, that was some of the things that I, those are some of the things that I realized, even as I held shares, I was aware that maybe there was some culture issues underneath the surface. So that's, that's Nearmap actually, you know, over, over three years, the shares are actually up 45%. So, uh, sorry, down 45%. Um, over five years, they're up 154%. So another company, which people will know really well, is AMP. Um, it gets a score out of five of 3.3 um, and only 51% of people would say that they would recommend a friend works at AMP. Are you surprised by this one? Um, definitely not. Um, I think most people would be aware that AMP um, was involved in, they were scrutinized by the, in the Royal Commission. So there were a number of failings. Um, I think there's a, it's a really long list of failures. They, uh, firstly, they charged dead people for administration fees. Um, they had really aggressive sales tactics with their insurance arm. Um, thirdly, um, I think they were charging fees for no service, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm. I mean, the list does go on. And yeah. th there was a misalignment with incentives because the financial arm, the financial advisors, who were providing advice were really incentivized to um, increase sales. Mm, yeah, and that's that's been the whole fallout of the Royal Commission, hasn't it? It's not just yeah. um, AMP, but you know, even if you know, it, it's I guess the perception as well. If you work for one of these organizations, it's the perception of what they stand for. And um, yeah, I yeah, I know plenty of fun, great financial advisors that have worked for AMP, but some of them, um, you know probably were really chasing that carrot in terms of, you know, I'm going to get a commission if I recommend this product to my client, even though it may not be necessarily what I'm, what I'm seeking. Um, that's the best in their best interests. So those yeah. are some of the, those are some of the, um, I guess, poor performers. Um, there were some other interesting companies here. So what we've done is we've looked at the companies. Um, we've looked at their overall rating. So what employees give them out of five. And then we've also looked at, um, what the whether they would recommend referring to a friend like a, a saying hey come and work here it's a great place and then what we've done is we've just done a very crude thing and looked at the five-year and three-year returns from the companies so the, there are companies in here which i should draw attention to so a company like point terror which i did say a minute ago was influenced by um some people from nearmap um now this company here has really no glass door or seek reviews because it's actually only got one um, because it's company, the companies are simply not big enough and there aren't enough employees. I think there's only about 35 employees in total around the world. Um, and that, that's basically doubled in the past year. So no one's really given them a review um, yet the shares are up. But then we've got companies that are bigger companies that have done really well, that, that do have good culture ratings. So companies like Xero uh, gets a 3.9 out of five so 70% um, of people would recommend working to a, uh, working there to a friend, a 486% return over the past five years. CEO approval rating is 97%. Um, obviously, you know, 
Zero is one of those companies people want to work for, right? Like it's, it's, it's from a tech perspective, from a financial perspective, people, people like it. So um, we would expect to see strong results right like this. Yeah. I'll also note that I think when zero first started, it was making big changes. It was being, it was essentially the innovator um, in the accounting cloud space. So as an employee, as a software engineer, you want to be working on the most exciting projects. So um, yeah. Yeah. And this is, and that's the thing, right? Um, you actually bring up a really interesting point there. And this comes from another Kiwi company that I own shares in. So I own shares in Zero and in Pushpay, which I'm about to mention. Uh, Pushpay um, was run by a guy called Chris Heaslip um, and Elliot Crowther. They co-founded the business. Um, and in an interview many years ago, um, Chris actually said, there will come a time when I'm not the right person to run this company. And I, as someone who's worked in startups and worked in you know, um, early stage businesses, I can attest to not wanting to work in larger organizations because I like the kind of, at least in this stage of my life, I like the, the many hats kind of a bit more like sprint, the sprinting kind of culture. Um, and I think for some people, um, zero would have been a great place to work when it was, you know, a hundred employees, but now that it's got, you know, many hundreds of employees, it's probably not the right place for them. Or they probably think this is, you know, my time here is done. Um, maybe, you know, that's just a generalization, but I think that's also important to understand too. People like being in growth companies. And what we find is that as companies go through that, you know, they cross the chasm and they hit that inflection point. Um, typically like they're really happy, they're really engaged, but then as soon as the growth starts to fall away, um, some employees become disenfranchised and they leave and that's okay too. Um, the second company on the list here is, is, is WiseTech. Obviously it's achieved pretty impressive growth of 784%, just share price returns only over the past five years. Gets a seek rating of 4.1 and a recommended uh, rating for people to work here of 78%. Um, the, the next company they'll bring up is Zip, uh, which is um, the buy now pay later business. It actually got a better rating than Afterpay so Zip got a rating out of five of 4.6 and 89% um, of people would recommend that their friends work there. So um, really- That's very interesting. Yeah, really high scores there. So- uh, I wonder if that's um, because after they had that first move advantage and then Zip came on board and tried to, you know, really focus on building a really attractive culture to try and um, get you know, talent across to the team. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's just a, it's just a really interesting one. I think they both scored highly. So, um, but now obviously Afterpay is part of Square, so um, it's part of a bigger beast. But still, it's the same business, um, for large part. Uh, what was really interesting here is people, if they're watching this, they'll see that um, Appen, which trades under the ticker symbol APX on the ASX, has a really low rating of three point two out of five, and of um, only fifty four percent of employees would say that they would recommend this one. Um, what's really interesting about Appen, and we're talking about this off air, is Appen, um, even though it's this kind of sexy machine learning tech company, it actually is, it, it, it can get some, it gets a lot of reviews from um, from employees who might have been contractors. So not necessarily employees because the nature of its business is it deals with like outsourcing and kind of data labeling for, for engineering firms. Like it does a lot of the third party work for uh, the big tech companies. So it's important that you scratch beneath the surface and don't just take all of these at face value. Um, there were some other really interesting companies in here. I saw, I saw one um, which I'm going to, I'm going to call out uh, is 
a company called um, City Chick Collective, which is the fashion retail business. Um, shares are up 726% over the past five years. And it's got a lot of re reviews, but it's it's actually the, the ratings that it gets from a HR perspective are actually very, very low. And I haven't actually mm. discovered the true reason why, but only 2.6 out of five. Um, and then only 28% of employees would refer a friend here. Mm. Um, the, maybe at risk of this going on for too long, because I know we've got to get to the banks and some big tech. Um, the one final company that I'll call out, and probably this is more, maybe a, a, a flaw in the data, is ARB Corp. Um, the really strong performing um, Australian bull bars and access, 4x4 accessories business only gets a 2.2 2 out of five, according to Glassdoor, and a 41% um, a forty-one percent of employees say that they would recommend a friend work here. However, it's only based on nine reviews. So it's not a sufficient sample size, but I just thought that was interesting um, if we just look at the reviews really quickly here. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like maybe there are certain instances where, you know, I guess you don't need to take it at face value. Like this is only maybe this is one piece of evidence that you would disregard in your, in your attempt to create a mosaic. I find when I'm looking at this stuff, mate, I find that I look at the advice to management part probably the most. I don't know when you're reading through these, what you look at. I think I tend to go through all of them. And I, I think it's important for people to understand that every single review isn't going to be accurate. And I think you really need to understand which ones are really just vanilla type of reviews where they're just talking, um, they're just providing a really generalistic opinion. And they, they might, I'm not saying that they're, they're fake reviews, but they, there's every opportunity that they could be. Um, so mm. it's, it's always important to really read it properly and, and see if they're, saying something different and saying something quite unique to the organization, because I think those reviews tend to be um, probably more accurate. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Um, I've tried uh, to be honest, I, mean, I try to massage the reviews that I read a bit. So I tend to look at the, the twos, the threes and the fours rather than the fives and the ones um, because the fives might just say, you know, if there's only a few fives, they might just be the really positive ones that the, you know, the, the people high up in the business give and the ones might be people that were actually fired for a reason and are just really disenfranchised with the, the company but the, the the twos the threes and the fours are the ones that are a bit more like they're not giving ones so they're not completely put mm. off they're not giving five so they're not you know um, parading around saying this is the greatest place to work even if they don't um, mean it mm. um, so and then what i try and do is i try and find commonalities between the reviews so if one is saying oh you know there's um, the comp, you know, the compensation is too low. Another one saying the compensation is too low. The third one saying compensation is too low. Well, then you know maybe they need to be paid more. Mm. Um, I think one thing that you might like. I'm just reading over these um, ARB corp reviews quickly here. You know, ARB has company-owned stores, um, but it's also got the head office business, which makes the decisions, and it's got the manufacturing floor as well. So you don't know where these reviews are coming from necessarily. Um, so you've got to, I guess, take some of them with a pinch of salt. Um, What's really interesting, I know we're kind of um, going on a bit here, but what was really interesting to me is um, looking at the big banks, mate. Hmm. So the, the ratings for the big banks have improved substantially since the Royal Commission. Um, one of the things you can do if you're looking for employee reviews is when you go onto, say, um, the Glassdoor website for Combank, you can click on the score and you can see the trend 
um, in the score over time. And you can see here, ComBank has been pretty stable over time. Um, but many of the other uh, ratings, it's actually improved upon. So like culture and values, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and I've seen that since the, since the uh, Royal Commission, a lot of the banks have improved. So that's pretty impressive. It hasn't really stopped their share prices going down. The only one <laughs> with a positive uh, share price over five years is Macquarie. Um, obviously not a retail bank, more of an investment bank. So, mm. yeah. Uh, I think that's a that's a good reminder of you know how much time and resources it requires to re rectify a lot of issues that uh, a company has to go through a royal commission. Um, sometimes they spend so much time and money on improving one aspect, uh, being culture and governance, and that just detracts um, resources and time away from their core businesses. Yeah, that it does too, doesn't it? And that's when, you know, heads will roll as well in terms of, um, you know, management teams will be fired and, and mm. so on and so forth. But then also employees and, um, and customers will leave too because mm. why would you stand for that type of thing happening at your bank or at the business that, that you reward with your, with your business? So, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting. I think one final thing we wanted to call out here was just that... Um, you know, some of these tech companies, like here we've got Canberra in front of us, uh, you can see it gets a 4.7 uh, out of five. So one of the best ratings you can get. 91% um, of people would recommend to a friend. Um, we've, we can see with a lot of the big tech companies, even though they're big, they employ a lot of people, they're still getting fantastic reviews, right? Mm. And one thing I'll say about these companies, these companies operate in a space which is kind of sexy when you think about it. Like if you want to work for a company, these companies kind of make really cool things, right? I mean, at Rask, we have like nearly every product I own now is is Apple. <laughs> um, <laughs> we even use Canva, um, so Canva is a very yep. fun tool to make designs, and and it provides people with some sort of emotion, like whether that be happiness or um, fulfillment. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Atlassian, one of the companies we don't use here at Rask. I probably should. Um, fantastic ratings again, 4.6 out of 5. 92% um, of people recommend to a friend. And this, all this once again, I can stop sharing my screen now. All of this once again, mate, just tells people, reminds people that um, if you want to attract the best talent, you have to have a great culture, right? And so if you're investing in this way, uh, this is a fantastic, I guess, reminder that you should focus on the culture aspect as well. So I think we've covered a lot of ground, but this is one of the things that is harder to quantify, but it requires, um, it, is, it is such an important thing to go out and to research because um, what we find is as investors for the long-term, basically you need to figure out why a company's profit or a company's sales in years two, three, four, and five is going to be more than it is today. And that sounds very simple to say, but if there's already a P ratio, if there's already a certain amount of sales, everyone else already knows that. It's on you as the investor to discover why that might be improving and what drives those sales higher. What, you know, what's getting the big deals done at ProMedicus? Um, why do people go into an Apple store and always spend more than they think? Um, why do people why, like why why do people manage a Coles supermarket instead of a Woolworth supermarket? These are the questions that analysts have to discover. And we've just introduced you to how you can do that. Um, so just a reminder for people, you can use Glassdoor, 
Um, you can use Indeed, you can use Seek, but you've got to scratch below the surface. Um, it's our sample size of 100 companies is probably not enough to uh, really understand um, why things are happening and, and run that kind of correlation. But if you want access to the data, just send us um, a message on Twitter or um, wherever you get your social media, try and find Raymond or I, and we'll be able to set you up with um, access to the data that we put together. But mate, this was a bit of fun, um, a bit of fun for the podcast. There's a bit of a, um, a late decision by us to pull this one together for tomorrow. Um, we were going to do a reporting season special, but um, things got in the way. But this is okay. We can talk about this. Um, it's a bit of fun. And we get to do it together. Yeah, it was a pleasure. I think I really enjoyed a different chat. It wasn't just about investing, but um, I think something, as you said, it's it's really important part of the investing process. So yeah, it was really good to chat. Owen. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, we do have this just for, for listeners sake. We do have culture and HR actually built into our investing checklist at RASC for the very reason that not a lot of analysts actually look at it properly. Um, and we think it's actually a, a sustainable source of um, insights and edge um, as analysts. So if you can discover companies with great cultures earlier on with high, um, you know, in uh, revenue per employee, gross profit per employee, if you do these metrics, you might come up with some really interesting things and discover a lot more about the business. So Raymond Jang, um, rjang underscore on Twitter. Um, you can find him there. I'm at Owen Rask. So mate, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Owen. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.